0: It's the Daily Lectionary Comments for July 11th. We're going to look at Judges chapter 6. Uh, we're going to take a second look at, at Gideon and Acts chapter 15. We're going to take a look at what's called the Apostolic Council. I'm going a little long today, primarily because the Apostolic Council in Acts chapter 15 is so very important. So I promise to keep these devotions shorter in the future. Today, bear with me. I've gone about three minutes too long. All right, Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, um, Gideon has been called, the angel of the Lord called him, and we saw that Gideon was a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, uh, timid, uh, not wanting to go forward, even though the angel of the Lord addressed him as, "O oh, mighty one of valor. Now we're going to get a little bit more about Gideon, and we're going to get a little bit more backdrop. We're going to kind of see what the Lord was talking about when in yesterday's devotion, he spelled out what the problem was, okay? The problem was I brought you out of Egypt. I told you not to go after other gods. You've all gone after other gods and this is why all of this is happening to you. Now we're gonna see in the story of Gideon how very true this was. So for example, the first command that the Lord gives to Gideon is uh, to pull down an altar of Baal. Okay, so in other words, there is an altar right there In the land of Canaan, an altar to Baal and right next to it, an altar to Asherah. These are the male and female fertility gods of the Canaanites. Right there in the promised land where they're not supposed to be. But even more extraordinary, these belonged to Gideon's father. So Gideon's own father was maintaining an altar to Baal and an altar to Asherah. So Gideon was commanded to tear it down which, to his credit, he did. And then we see that the entire village became angry and wanted to put uh, Gideon to death when they figured out who it was. So we see that when the Lord said uh, that you have abandoned me and forsaken uh, the covenant and therefore, uh, you know, all this has come upon you, we see what he means. You know, another point we might make uh, is um, you might ask the question, where was Gideon in all of this? I mean, Gideon was a grown-up man. His father's got... Uh, altar to Baal and Asherah, uh, right there, presumably on his own property. And uh, and Gideon doesn't say anything, that he ever did anything about it until he was commanded by the Lord to do it. So we have uh, in the background here a clear picture of a generally apostate people. They are not following the Lord, in fact. This is not just an occasional person who commits idolatry. It's that the land generally is turning away. From the Lord. Okay, so Gideon, he, he does what he was commanded to do. On the other hand, the text said, uh, and this is in uh, verse uh, 27, he tore down the altar ball, but he did it at night because he didn't want to get caught and, and didn't want to deal with the townspeople. Um, and so, again, a little bit more of the timidity. Then next we hear that the Midianites have infiltrated the land and uh, an armed in an armed incursion, another uh, iteration of succession of armed incursions by the Midianites. And Gideon uh, is, it now begins rallying the people, which is good. The, he, he, he is uh, rallying for the people in um, Gideon's father's defense. Remember, his father does defend him against the townspeople who want to who wanna kill him. Uh, and uh, the and Gideon's clan joins him together with the other um, tribes to raise up an army to fight the Midianites. So so this is all good. But then uh, here's Gideon, and uh, rather than accepting the word of the Lord and going right out and uh, and fighting, uh, Gideon wants uh, another sign. Remember yesterday or yesterday's devotion, he wanted a sign that the angel of the Lord was you know really the Lord was really with him. Today, he wants a sign, and so he brings out a fleece, and he wants the Lord to demonstrate his power and his presence and that he's really uh, with him by making the fleece wet while all the ground is dry overnight, and the Lord does this. Not a very flattering picture, actually, of Gideon, for whom the word of the Lord should have been enough, but it wasn't. Then Gideon, even recognizing himself that he's pushing this, uh, the, the envelope here, Asks for another sign. This time he wants the fleece dry and the ground wet. And the Lord does it again. So he's accommodating the Lord. The Lord could have been very angry and said, look, if you're not going to trust my word any more than that, I simply won't be with you and I'll raise up somebody else. But he didn't do that. And once again, showing the patience of the Lord. But this doesn't. This story so far does not exactly exalt Gideon as a, as a titan of faith. He's none of those things. And remember, in yesterday's devotion, um, Gideon complains. You know, our fathers told us that you took us out of the land of Egypt uh, and brought us into this land. So why are all these things happening to us? And yet on Gideon's own father's property was this altar to Baal and Asherah, which Gideon himself had never done anything about. In other words, the problem with Israel and why the Lord was angry with Israel was staring everybody right in the face, including Gideon. But it takes three signs and God's personal call for Gideon to begin doing the right thing. So again, this isn't exactly an exalted picture of the faith of Gideon and the faith of God's people. Nevertheless, the Lord is going to deliver them from the hand of the Midianites, and we'll see that tomorrow. Acts chapter 15 is a very important chapter in the book of Acts, and it marks a very important point in the history of the church. It's often referred to as the Apostolic Council. And it's when a major theological question that had grown up in the church, controversy, had to be settled. And the way it was settled is that the apostles gathered, and the disciples gathered in Jerusalem, and they debated and discussed the issues, and then a decision was made. Now, this problem had been coming on for some time. It began with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and his baptism. And then there was uh, Peter's vision of the different kinds of animals. And then there was Cornelius and his baptism and his family's baptism and their conversion and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them. And there was the Gentile congregation in Syrian Antioch. And then there was the first missionary journey. And at this point, what had started out with a trickle has now become quite a steady inflow of Gentiles into the church. Now, all of the early Christians were Jews. Jesus was Jewish. All the 12 apostles were Jewish. All the early Christians were Jews, which means that after they accepted that Jesus was the Messiah, they went on living like Jews, only trusting in Jesus that he was crucified for them, risen and ascended and that the kingdom of God was the people of the kingdom were essentially living like Jews and they could accommodate a certain number of Gentiles that would come into the church without too much disruption but now a lot of Gentiles are coming in and Gentiles don't live like Jews do so the question became what of the law of Moses and that is what is before the people here now Theologically, the question may be: Is the law of Moses in effect at all anymore? Now, note that the when you look at the deliberations and their conclusion, and later on when we get to the the uh, book of Galatians, which we're going to be talking about starting at tomorrow's um, uh, devotions, it's very clear that in the early church it was understood that the law of Moses was no longer in effect, at least among the leaders and the apostles. But understand that you can't just take a bunch of Jews who have grown up as Jews now that they believe in Jesus and tell them that it's okay to ignore the Sabbath day or to eat ham if you want, uh, or in other ways live as only Gentiles would do. That that would be very difficult to do. That would be very hard on them. They had been accustomed to living a particular way. But now Gentiles are coming into the church, and the question is, what do we do? Do we tell them, you have to live like Jews? Now, why would we do that? Well, a bad reason to do it would be because you have to. Because really, being a Christian is just really being a kind of a Jew. But we don't want to tell them that, because that would not be true. A Christian is not a kind of a Jew. The New Covenant is not just a subset of the Old Covenant. It replaces the Old Covenant. So what do we tell these Gentiles then? If you don't have to follow the law of Moses, then do we just leave them free to do anything? Well, if telling them to follow the law of Moses strictly, just for tradition's sake, that would be very difficult on the mission field to try to get Gentiles to come into the church when you're going to order them to have to be circumcised and you're going to strictly limit their dietary code and all these other things that go along with being Jews. That's going to make Gentile missions very hard. On the other hand, if Gentiles start coming into the church in large numbers, and because of that, the law of Moses is just ignored and forgotten, that is going to make it very difficult for the ongoing mission to the Jews. And remember, the Christian church was enormously preoccupied with converting both Jews and Christians and and Gentiles. And we don't want to have two churches. We need to have one church. So ultimately, the decision was this. We don't want to burden the Gentiles. This is James, the brother of the Lord, who is speaking for all of the apostles here. And he's saying, this is my judgment. We don't want to burden the Gentiles with the law of Moses, as though it is still sort of an obligation for them, a a, a religious obligation. We don't want to do that. On the other hand, there are practices that are common among the Gentiles that are going to have to be addressed. Because if they're not, This is going to be especially difficult on our Jewish Christians and continued Jewish missionary work. So, Gentile, I mean, bringing in Jewish Christians into the church, uh, Jews into the church, did not involve you with food sacrifice to idols, and it did not involve you with a new understanding of sexuality, and it did not involve you with having to deal with issues of blood and blood sacrifice and all. You know, drinking blood and all of that; those were Gentile things, and so when you're receiving Jews into the church, those were not issues. But receiving Gentiles in, these are things that you really did have to deal with. They were accustomed to eating food sacrificed to pagan idols, and they need to deal with that because if they're allowed to continue to do this, that uh, uh, you know, because of a, an idea of Christian freedom, um, that is going to impact uh, the ability to convert Jews. Jews are going to look at Christians as idolaters. Then uh, the issue of sexuality was not a problem for the Jews. It's not that they'd ever uh, uh, um, engaged in sexual immorality, but they already knew it was sexual immorality. The Gentiles didn't. Their understanding of sexuality was much, much looser. So they would engage in all kinds of things or had engaged in all kinds of things that were strictly immoral and would have to be taught a new thing. The Jews didn't have to be taught a new thing They just had to be told to live according to the law that they'd always had. These Gentiles are going to have to be taught what once was okay is not anymore for you. And likewise, dealing with blood and things like that. These are Gentile issues that would be brought into the church, which if they weren't addressed, would hamper the mission to the Jews. On the other hand, if we impose the entire uh, Mosaic code on the Gentiles, that would hamper the mission to the Gentiles. The bottom line is, there was one church and one Christ, and the mission to both the Jews and the Gentiles had to be maintained, and so the decision of the Apostolic Council. Tomorrow, we're going to turn to the book of Galatians. We're going to leave Acts for a little bit. We're going to read through the book of Galatians, and we're going to see theologically how this actually gets worked out in preaching and teaching.